Plenty of attention has gone to Gonzaga's four bigs for the team's recent success, but somewhat quietly, Ryan Nemhart has dramatically improved his play, and that is huge news for this team going forward. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, the Zags are still out of the AP poll, but the computer metrics certainly seem to like them quite a bit, especially after a pair of blowouts last week. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the women's team holding steady at number 17 in the AP poll, what it means for them, what their upcoming schedule looks like. But first, I want to talk about Ryan Nimpart because the conversation around Gonzaga right now based on Mailbag Monday, based on what we're talking about in our Discord channel. If you want to join the Discord channel, as a reminder, there is a link in your show notes. It is free to join. We're talking all things Gonzaga basketball 24-7 in there. Uh, it feels like a lot of the, the conversation about this team after the two blowouts this last week, uh, after the the really good second half against Pepperdine, the really good full game against San Diego, has kind of been about a couple of things. One, people are talking about the lack of quality opponent. They've already played these teams. They've already beat these teams, which is entirely understandable and reasonable and certainly puts a little bit more pressure on Gonzaga to prove it on Thursday when they host the Dons of San Francisco. Uh, but also a lot of the conversation has been about the starting lineup change, Ben Gregg stepping in, Dusty Stromer kind of getting to, to be in a more comfortable role coming off the bench, what that has done for Gregg's performance, for Stromer's performance, uh, for Anton Watson's performance in a different role. Graham E.K. has been fantastic at passing out of the double team and, and scoring around the rim. Braden Huff obviously had an incredible game against San Diego on Saturday, and all of that is great and is true and, and has been part of the conversation, for better or worse, about this Gonzaga team for the month of January. But what's getting missed in that conversation is the performance of Ryan Nempard, because he has not just been better than he was at the beginning of the season because he didn't start the season out very well. That's not a mystery. That's not a, it's not something people weren't aware of. He did not start off the season very well. And I think that his improvement has kind of been like, okay, good. He's kind of starting to get back to where he should be, but he's playing at a really, really high level right now, really high level. His overall season numbers for, for what it's worth are better than he's ever posted in his career. So people thinking, oh, he had a bad start to the season, and now he's finally starting to look like that guy. He's been better than that guy. So far through the 18 games he's played this season for Gonzaga, he's averaging 12.5 points. He's averaging 6.4 assists. He's averaging 4.1 rebounds, and he's shooting 50% on two-pointers. Every one of those is a career high. In his third college basketball season after playing two years at Creighton, as a starter, as a 30-minute-per-game player, so it's not like he was you know, only playing 10 minutes a game as a freshman. Like These are his career highs after two full seasons at Creighton. More points, more rebounds, more assists, better, better percentage from two than he's ever had before. Now, the three-point percentage has been the conversation for Ryan Nembhard. The, the most pinnacle conversation we have had, turnovers as well, we'll get to both those things. Currently on the season, Ryan Nembhard is shooting 25% from three. 
He was a 35% three-point shooter last year at Creighton, so it still looks like a dramatic drop. But what it has really been is a horrendous early season slump that has come around in a major way lately. And that break is easy. 2023 versus 2024. In the 2023 portion of the season with Gonzaga, Ryan Nempart took 43-point attempts and made six of them. That is good for just 15%. Clearly, that was a major problem for Ryan Nempart and Gonzaga in that part of the season. Since the calendar flipped to 2024, Ryan Nembhardt is 8 of 16. He's made more threes in those games than he did in the entire first part of the season in 2023, despite taking less than half the attempts. 8 of 16, obviously 50% from three. That is a dramatic increase. Yes, the sample size is small. Yes, four of those games came against Pepperdine and San Diego. But that is a huge change for Ryan Nembhardt to be shooting at a much higher level. We've talked about how Gonzaga's offense is predicated in many ways on him being able to shoot threes because they run this high ball, this pick and roll action up at the top of the key. If defenders go under on the screen, Nembhard cannot get to the basket. The the roller can't really get open. It just doesn't, the the spacing doesn't work. And Nembhard is the only option out of that pick and roll if they go under the screen is to shoot the three. Well, when Ryan was making him at a 15% clip, he didn't want to shoot that three, so he'd swing it around, and at that point, the offense would stall out, it would stagnate, and they'd be forced to just swing the ball around until they could find a way to get it to Graham E.K. and hope he could score. It worked a lot of the time, but it wasn't a, a dynamic enough offense. That has changed, not just because Ryan is shooting better threes, but because he is distributing the ball significantly better than he was early in the year. They are running more. That has been a huge thing we have seen is getting out in transition, Forcing turnovers and getting out in transition, certainly forcing turnovers helps. You don't really have to run an actual offense. You can just get out and go and score usually pretty easily around the basket. That has been a big part of it. Obviously, certain teams are not going to give up the ball as easily as teams like San Diego and Pepperdine have been doing. That will be more of a challenge even against San Francisco, certainly against St. Mary's. Uh, Kentucky, is, I think, has like the least turnovers in the entire country, or at least they're at the very, very top of that list. So that's not going to be an area that Gonzaga can really exploit in that game either, but Nemhart's facilitation has been unbelievable this season. He has 115 assists and 40 turnovers on the year. That is a 2.87 assist to turnover ratio. That is excellent. For reference, last season at Creighton, it was 2.28. The year before that, his freshman year at Creighton, it was 1.4. He has doubled his assist to turnover ratio from his freshman year to his junior year. Obviously, you would hope any point guard would get better, at that skill, but that is a huge jump. Even from 2.28 to 2.87 is a very, very big jump for Ryan Nembhard. And that's full season. That's not just over his last five games, but over his last five games, guess what? It has been absurd. 41 to five is the assist to turnover ratio for Ryan Nembhard in his last five games. The last week he had 20 assists and zero turnovers. Last three games, including Santa Clara was 25 to zero. That's right, in that Santa Clara game where it seemed like everything went wrong for this Gonzaga team. Ryan Nemhard, zero turnovers. You'd have liked more than five assists. Not all of that is his fault. A lot of good passes that didn't get converted into baskets, just kind of the way that that thing went uh, on that Thursday against Santa Clara. But 25 to zero assists to turnovers last three games for Ryan Nemhard. Additionally, 13.2 points, which is a little higher than his season average, 8.2 assists. In his last five games, four rebounds and 1.8 steals. Obviously, 50% from three, like we talked about earlier, 55% on twos, and 80% from the free throw line. 
Nembhard was interviewed after the, I think it was the San Diego game by Theo Lawson of the Spokesman Review. Uh, and Nembhard talked about how he's starting to get used to his guys. He's starting to get used to the, uh, he said he's reading the plays a little bit better. He's reading the situations a little bit better, uh, getting more familiar with his teammates. And I think it's easy to forget how new this Gonzaga roster is. Obviously, they had experience playing together prior to the season in practices, in scrimmages, things like that. Of course, part of that was he was getting familiar with Steel Venters, who then got hurt three days before the season started. So everything changed. Dusty Stromer was in a different role. Uh, it just shifted the lineup in a significant way. Even since then, we've seen these three big lineups that I'm pretty sure were not really something Mark Few was expecting to use this year. Certainly, he wasn't expecting to start games playing three of the bigs. He has made that decision. It has obviously worked in a very significant way these last couple of games, but that was not part of the plan. So for Ryan Nemhard and for coach Mark Few and for Hickman and everybody else, they're adjusting to a new situation, a new setup, a new offense. And again, Nemhard's brand new to this offense. He's brand new to this roster. He's And the, the teammates around him haven't played many minutes together. The only three guys who played minutes together on this team were Nolan Hickman, Anton Watson, and Ben Gregg. Braden Huff had a year of practice behind his belt, which is great. So did Yo, but Yo's not a big part of the, of the mix right now. EK was brand new into this conversation. So Dusty Stromer, obviously brand new as well. So it just took some time for the gelling to happen. And I think for Nemhart, his first time transferring, his first time with new teammates, I mean, that Creighton team had a lot of overlap his first two years. So I think he was just used to, he was comfortable. And it, he was a little uncomfortable to start the year. Seems to be pretty darn comfortable right now. And that is huge for Gonzaga because he needs to play at this level. I said on Monday's episode in a mailbag question that Anton Watson needs to be this team's MVP for them to keep their Sweet 16 streak alive. And I agree that Anton Watson needs to be their best player. But I think Ryan Nemhart is their most important player in terms of them getting to that point. In terms of them getting into the NCAA tournament, which is no longer a guarantee at this point in the season, they've built up some goodwill with their recent performances. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. But at the end of the day, they still need to either win out or make sure they win the WCC tournament to be in the big dance. For them to do that and for them to then have success in the NCAA tournament, this version of Ryan Nembhard needs to be there. The version of Ryan Nembhard averaging eight assists. I, he's not going to shoot 50% from three for the rest of the season, but the version of Ryan Nembhard that's over 40 or even over 37, something like that. The version of Ryan Nembhard who's nearly at three assists to turnovers with his ratios. The version of Ryan Nembhard that is pushing the pace, comfortable with where his teammates are, not hesitant, not... Uh, forcing up bad shots, not forcing bad passes, things we saw from him early in the year in games like Washington and games like UConn and, and Purdue and UCLA, that version needs to be gone. And yes, the competition level in the last couple of weeks has not been great. But it sure looks like that version of Ryan Nimhart is not who we're seeing anymore. And the version we have right now is who we expected and maybe even better than who we expected. And if that continues... If that continues to be the case for the rest of the season, it's hard not to feel pretty good about where this Gonzaga team's headed. Well, Gonzaga remains out of the AP poll. Not a big surprise there, but the computer metrics, the net and Ken Palm, well, they really love the Zags after those two blowout victories last week. We're going to talk about that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers stay hot on FanDuel. And folks, right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your pocket 
if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The FanDuel app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, which includes spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And the Ladies' Eggs odds have moved. They are now 24,000 to 1 odds to win the NCAA Tournament National Championship. A $5 bet nets you 1,200 if the Ladies' Eggs are cutting down the net at the end of the year. I'm willing to take those odds if you are too. Visit, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, segment two here. Still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags podcast. And we're talking AP results for the men's basketball program. We'll talk about the women's team to close out the show. The Zags picked one up, picked up one extra vote in the AP poll this week. Last week, they got five votes for the AP top 25. This week, they got six. That was the difference. Not in a huge shock. I don't think anybody realistically expected that this Gonzaga team was going to jump back in the top 25 for victories over Pepperdine and San Diego, especially when you consider that they had already beaten both of these programs prior to this. It just wasn't the kind of needle-moving victories that Gonzaga really needed to get back into this conversation. I personally, for those of you who know, I'm a Locked On College Basketball podcast. We do our top 25s uh, every single week. I also do my own top 25 for USA Today's College Sports Wire website. Uh, so you can find those if you follow me on Twitter. You can find links to those there. Uh, I did not have the Zags ranked this week. I didn't have them ranked last week either. Uh, I'll be honest, the teams like 20 through 40-ish, 20 through 35 are all pretty bunched together. So there's the argument for Gonzaga at this point is not that far away. I'm not shocked they picked up six votes. I thought there was a chance it might be a little bit more. Again, I do not have them in my top 25 yet. I think they still have some more to prove to get back into that conversation. But I I don't think they're as far away as some people might think they are, simply because once you get past the top 12, 15 teams or so, it kind of gets murky in college basketball this season. There's a lot more parity than typical. There's probably a lot of reasons for that that we can go into for an off-season podcast. Obviously, the NIL uh, aspect of things, the transfer portal aspect, this being the final year of the COVID eligibility, some very old players in college basketball, the, the mid-season change uh, to the uh, the two-time transfer rule, allowing suddenly a handful of players to be eligible. All that stuff has kind of muddied the water in college basketball this season in terms of, of kind of there not being as much dominance at the top. And Gonzaga's kind of in that mess in the middle of those teams. But I think they certainly have the ability to get back into that conversation. And again, the metrics really like them a lot. I talked a fair amount about the net rankings on Monday's episode. Uh, For those of you who missed it, go back, check your feed. Uh, It's a mailbag episode. A lot of segment two was talking about the net, explaining the net, explaining kind of Gonzaga's space in the net right now in the ranking system and why uh, blowout wins in particular on the road are going to really help your net ranking. And that's the case. They're 30th in the net right now. St. Mary's like 23rd, I think. There's two top 30 teams in the net from the WCC. No team who has been higher than 33rd has has failed to make the NCAA tournament as an at-large bid. It's never happened. Are Gonzaga and St. Mary's going to stay 30 and 22 or whatever St. Mary's is right now? Probably not. They have to play each other. That means that somebody's going to lose. Obviously, Gonzaga's got that Kentucky game. St. Mary's, we'll see if they're able to stay perfect the rest of conference play. But clearly, these two teams are in that conversation right now. And Gonzaga remains in that conversation. 30th in the net, jumping up from 50th. Interestingly, 
One of the only things that obviously happened outside of Gonzaga picking up two quad four wins over San Diego and Pepperdine is that one of their quad one losses, they were previously 0-4 in quad one. They are now 0-3 in quad one because they are now 2-2 two two in quad two. The reason for that is that the Washington Huskies, ever since beating Gonzaga, have been pretty horrendous on the basketball floor, which does not help Gonzaga at all. That win or that loss for Gonzaga, instead of being a quad one loss on the road, is now a quad two loss. So that actually makes Gonzaga's resume look a little bit worse. This is part of the criticism of the net. Gonzaga cannot control that Washington forgot how to play basketball after that game in December. And I just, I don't, it's not particularly fair that Gonzaga's wins over USC and UCLA, which looked better at the time, have aged incredibly poorly, not because anything Gonzaga did, but because Mick Cronin has all sorts of excuses for what's going on at UCLA. But ultimately, that's a bad basketball team. And USC coming in with top 20 expectations have been unbelievably underwhelming. Those are two of the most underperforming teams in all of college basketball this season. It is just a huge bummer that Gonzaga happened to get both of them on their schedule this year. You cannot control that, and that is part of the criticism of the net. But again, at the same time, the net is a computer system designed to evaluate the quality of your wins and losses. How those teams do going forward does impact the quality of those wins and losses. So I understand why the system works the way that it does, but it is unfortunate and is kind of hitting Gonzaga harder this year than typical. Gonzaga is also all the way up to 20 at Ken Palm, very high for them to be in this spot. They were 26th last week, so they've climbed six spots for those big road victories again against San Diego and LMU, or excuse me, San Diego and Pepperdine last week. Uh, part of that is teams around them struggling, losing games, dropping farther in the Ken Palm rankings. Uh, but still nice to see Gonzaga getting some love from the computers, and I think potentially puts them in a position where they may not be as far away from getting back in the top 25 as some may expect. They got a big opportunity on Thursday. They host the Dons of San Francisco. Obviously, it's a home game for Gonzaga. It won't be a quad one. San Francisco would have to be a top, well, actually, yeah, San Francisco would have to be a top 30 team in the net for Gonzaga to get a quad one win at home. San Francisco is currently 57th in the net. So it should be a quad two win for Gonzaga, but it will not be quad one. Regardless, quad two win absolutely helps. Certainly if they're able to win by a decent margin, that's going to help as well. They get Pacific on Saturday. That game doesn't really do anything for Gonzaga at home. Even if they blow them out, it's just not going to move the needle all that much. But if they win both these games, that puts them in a position where there's a decent chance they're in the top 25. I would still, if I was betting on it right now, I would say no, they're still probably not a top 25 team, but they'll be closer. You put yourself in a position where you beat St. Mary's on February 3rd, potentially that puts you back in the top 25. That's a cool spot to be. There's a, there's a realistic chance St. Mary's is in a spot where they could get back in the top 25 with the win there too. So that's going to make that game even extra kind of juicy between these two teams. Not that they need any extra motivation to bring it for that game in Spokane, but it's a, it, it's a possibility that that's the position those two teams find themselves in. And then, of course, Gonzaga's got the Kentucky February 10th, the following Saturday. Uh, note on Kentucky, they're sixth right now in the AP poll, and they just got Zvonimir Ivisic, their starting or their new Freshman center, he's from Croatia. He was ineligible per the NCAA until very recently. Uh, it was baffling why the NCAA took so long to grant him eligibility. It was a very frustrating situation for Coach Calipari and the Wildcats, but they got him eligible. An hour later, they kicked off against uh, Georgia, and he he hit his first three three-pointers. He's seven foot two, and he hit three three-pointers in this game, went 13 points, five rebounds, three blocks in like 15 minutes. 
is a terrifying, terrifying result for Kentucky that they got this young man into the mix. He was billed as a shot blocker and three-point shooter, floor spacer for his size and his length. He has already looked like that player for Kentucky. They'll get a handful of, of weeks to get him more acclimated into their system before Gonzaga heads to Rupp Arena. That Kentucky team is going to be really really good. It gives Gonzaga a phenomenal opportunity to pick up a game if they're able to pull it off, but it's going to be a tough one in Lexington a couple Saturdays from now. We're going to wrap up the show discussing Coach Lisa Fortier's team. They remain number 17 in the AP poll after another pair of just dominant blowout victories over teams in the WCC. We're going to talk about what that means for them coming up right after this. Right, closing out the show today, talking Lisa Fortier's Gonzaga women's basketball team. They are number 17 in the AP poll. That's the same spot they were last week. Two weeks ago, they had been at 16. They dropped despite continuing to win every game they've played in the West Coast Conference. This week, they stayed held steady at number 17. Uh, part of the reason they had dropped previously, I think, is because Stanford, their biggest win of the season, had been struggling. Stanford has done better as of late. They are still the number six ranked team in the country. Uh, women's basketball team only has two losses. One of them is to Louisville, who was higher than them in the AP poll. They have now dropped all the way down to 18 as a five-spot drop for the Cardinals. Washington State is Gonzaga's other loss. They picked up three votes in the AP poll this week. But Gonzaga did everything they, they needed to do. They beat LMU on the road. 72-48 to 48 was the final score against the Lions on Thursday. On Saturday, they hosted St. Mary's. The Gales, 89-60 to 60 was the final score there. When your 29-point victory is your second highest margin of victory that week, that's a pretty good sign. That's a pretty good sign of how you did that week uh, in the in the West Coast Conference. Uh, the Zags only moved up two spots in the net ranking. They moved from sixteen, or excuse me, from eighteen up to sixteen. So they're still kind of right in line with the net ranking with where they are uh, actually being ranked in the AP poll. As they again seventeenth there, sixteenth in the net. And again, the conversation we've had about the women's team in, in regards to the net ranking and the AP poll the season is is kind of remains the same. The margin of error is really thin. So WCC is just not a good women's basketball conference. Santa Clara is the second best team per the net. They are 72nd. They were in the mid-60s previously. They've struggled since then. Portland is up to 106th, but still third best team in the, in the West Coast Conference is outside the top 100. Only other team inside the top 150 in the net is the Tigers of Pacific. They are 143rd. So the, the operation remains the same for the women's basketball team. Win every game you play. You just need to take care of business. You cannot be losing to these teams in conference play. And like we said, they did not have any problems this past week. We talked a little bit already about Gonzaga's win over LMU, 72-48. Yvonne Ejim continues her All-American campaign, 24-12 and in that game on 11 of 15 shooting. LMU was just horrendous with the basketball in this game. They shot two of 19 from three. That's 10.5%. They shot 22 of 66 from the field overall. That's a good 33%. Credit to Gonzaga's defense for two of those, although you can't give Gonzaga's defense much credit for the fact that LMU was only two of nine from the free throw line. Just could not find a way to put the ball in the hoop. You'd expect a result like that maybe on the road, but on their own floor, 
really, really rough stuff from LMU. But again, hats off to Gonzaga's defense. They have been phenomenal on that end of the floor all season long. The offense gets more of the attention, certainly Yvonne's offense in particular, their outside shooting. But this is a very, very good defensive team. And like, again, they beat, they didn't beat Stanford just because their offense. They beat Stanford because they played good defense in that game as well. And same with this win against St. Mary's, uh, 89 to 60 again. Anytime you're hanging just about 90 on somebody, it's pretty obvious your offense is doing good things. But this was also a very, very good defensive performance from the the Lady Zags. Uh, Now, St. Mary's did shoot 47% from three in this game, but they turned it over 20 times. Gonzaga's women's team finds abilities to to get out in the the passing lanes, to strip the basketball, to get out in transition, score some easy buckets that way. That's part of the reason they can get up to 89 points in these games. The other part of that is, once again, Yvonne Ejim, 22 points, 8 of 11 shooting for her in this one. It's just ho-hum at this point. Her putting up 20-plus points on 75-plus percent efficiency from the field, you're just kind of expecting it at this point. That is just some unheard-of performances from her. Also got to give a shout-out to Kaylin Trung, 25 points and 6 assists in this game against the Gales. She shot 7 of 14 from 3, 7 made triples, 25 total points for her. Fantastic performance to put away the Gales. And, and again, take care of business in ways that they need to continue to do. These blowout wins aren't really helping them move up in the net. They're not really helping them move up in the AP pool, but they're not moving down. And that's, that's the best thing that they can do at this point is not do anything to hurt their chances because the margin of error is thin. Any losses bump them far further than a win would bump them up. That's just the reality of the situation when you're in a conference like what the WCC is right now on the women's basketball side. It's why conversations we had a few months ago or last month, whenever it was, when we had the announcement that Washington State and Oregon State are joining the WCC, it may not feel like it moves the needle all that much from a men's basketball perspective, but it is a huge change on the women's basketball side. Those two programs, again, Wazoo picked up votes this week. Oregon State is 25th in the country. So for those two teams to be in the WCC from a women's basketball perspective is a huge, huge benefit to coach Lisa 48's team. This team's got Santa Clara and San Francisco both on the road this week at Santa Clara. This is what got them last year. This is the game that tripped up Lisa Fortier's team last year. They then, of course, lost in the WCC Tournament Championship game to Portland. Those two losses were basically the only real blemishes on their resume outside of a few losses in the non-conference. It was still enough for Gonzaga to only get a nine seed in the NCAA Tournament. They got, I was going to say they got upset. They got beat by Ole Miss in the first round, an eight seed. Ole Miss then went ahead and upset Stanford in the second round a tough, tough end to what was a great season for Gonzaga last year. They brought just about everybody back. They're running it back this year. They're hungry. They're experienced. They're deep. They are ready to avenge those demons from last year. And one of the best ways to do that is to not suffer the same conference loss. At Santa Clara was the big loss last year for this team. They just beat them by 38 points a few weeks ago. There is no reason they can't beat them by a similar margin, or even it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's half as much. I don't care if it's a nine-point game, a five-point game, a one-point game. It doesn't matter. you got to take care of business. Beat the Broncos on the road. They're the 72nd-ranked team in the net, so it is going to be a quality. They don't do the quad uh, set system the same way for the women's side, but it's going to be a nice win for Gonzaga, at least avoiding a bad loss. They also get the Dons on Saturday. The Dons are 7-11 and 11 on the season. They are 2-3 and three in the WCC. They are 166th in the net. So this is basically just another bad team that Gonzaga needs to avoid losing to. 
If Gonzaga can beat Santa Clara at Santa Clara, if they can beat San Francisco at San Francisco, it's going to put them in a. It's going to continue to put them in a position to be a top fifteen caliber team in the AP poll. Maybe it'll bump them up a spot or two. Top fifteen ish team in the net. I think two wins here maybe bumps them a spot. Of course, depending how the teams around them do. But again, it's more. It's it's unfortunately it's less about getting wins. It's about avoiding losses. And in this situation, if Gonzaga's team can continue to do that, can pick up two wins here, can avoid two losses here, they'll continue to put themselves in a position where if they keep doing what they're doing, they could be in a spot to be a four seed or a five seed in the NCAA tournament. And with their depth, with their experience, with their outside shooting defensive chops, like this is a team that could make some real noise in the NCAA tournament this upcoming season. That's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. I want to thank all of you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. It is sincerely appreciated and a special shout out to those everyday listeners and to those of you who have joined us on the Discord. Once again, there is a link in the show notes. You can click on that, be joining us on Discord. We're talking all about Gonzaga 24-7 there, so you can join us there. Thanks again for making the show your first listen. And until Wednesday, we'll be back talking about this San Francisco game coming up. But until then, go Zags.